first of all, grace and peace to you all. It's a little scary getting up this morning. It looked very apocalyptic outside. The orange sky and the red sun and the uh, the snow on my front lawn. It doesn't usually snow in this part of California. My uh, my wife and I have been officers in the Salvation Army for about 14 years. Uh, this is actually uh, our uh, our sixth appointment in all that time. I've been a lieutenant longer than anyone else I know. It's kind of exciting. Because usually after five years, if you haven't screwed up, they make you a captain. I didn't, I didn't screw up. It's just kind of the way things worked out, I promise. I thought I'd uh, just share for a couple minutes with you this morning a little bit about my, my spiritual journey. Um, now, at the end of the Christian Bible, there's a book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of you may have heard it or read it at some point. The man who wrote it and passed it around, his name was John. And uh, he was the kind of the leader of the Christian church in Asia Minor. And there's some stuff in that book that he wrote that sounds crazy scary. And there's plagues and horsemen and battles that leave blood pooled in a lake and stuff like that. And some people spend so much time focused on all that stuff that they miss the beginning part. Because right at the very beginning of the book, Jesus had John write letters out to seven different churches that were under his control. And one of these letters, he said something that changed everything for me. It's uh, Revelation 3.20. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Now I heard that for the first time when I was four years old. I was just four years old. In fact, it was right around this time of year. I believe it was uh, July 3rd, I think. And I was at a, a little vacation Bible school. It was being held in the basement of a friend's house. And um, it was just someone who just happened to say, Hey, I'm going today. You want to come with? And I went with because probably my mom was tired and wanted to get rid of me because she was uh, about eight months pregnant with my twin sisters then and there was a a young youth worker at that event who said you know Jesus loves you and he wants you to be with him and him to be with you and then she quoted this verse and she said if you want to open that door all you need to do is pray a prayer asking Jesus to come and live in your heart and I did that now I had kind of a weird picture I remember this so vividly for a couple of reasons. One is the, is definitely this mental picture that I had. Because I wasn't thinking like spiritually Jesus living in my heart. I was thinking of like one of those little cartoon hearts, the red, the red heart-shaped things, but like with a little chimney on top, like a house, and a door, and a window, and a little white picket fence around it. That was my picture of my heart, apparently, when I was four. And what I had in my head was... The idea that I prayed this prayer and a little cartoon Jesus in his little white robe and his little blue Miss America sash came down and knocked on the door and I opened it up and he came in and got a broom and like started sweeping out the dust out of the corners. It was my view of, of Jesus in my life. And once he was in there, he closed the door and he sat down to have a snack and watch some TV when I wasn't busy with him. And that was my image of Jesus for a really long time. And when they would talk in Sunday school about 
Jesus washing away our sins or purifying our heart, that little cartoon Jesus would pop up in my head, dusting and cleaning in my house like some kind of Snow White picking up after the seven dwarfs. That was, strangely enough, the beginning of my spiritual journey. Now, in the last half of the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, there's this guy named Jacob. He was a smart, hard-working weasel who tried to steal everything he could from anyone he knew. He conned his older brother out of his inheritance before their dad was even dead, tricked his father into giving him a blessing that rightly belonged to that same brother, and then after getting run out of that, well, it's funny actually, because his brother came to him after he tricked him out of the blessing and said, hey Jacob, I just want you to know, dad's going to die soon, and when he does, I'm going to run you through with a spear. At which point Jacob suddenly decided he needed to take a trip. He went to visit his uncle. And on his uncle's ranch, he worked as a shepherd, and he manipulated his paycheck to try to get as much of his uncle's fortune as he could. Not a real great role model at this point in his life. Along the way, though, he had these encounters with God that kind of spun him around and showed him that there was more to life than just the things that he could see and touch in front of him. And more to life than what he could get out of it. And one night, he actually found himself wrestling with an angel. And he wouldn't give up because he was a stubborn guy. And he wrestled all night long until the angel finally got fed up with him and cheated and poked him in the hip in such a way that it threw it out of joint. Jacob, because he refused to give in because of his stubbornness, he ended up limping for the rest of his life. But it, it changed him. That whole night changed him. In fact, he was told after that evening that he was going to have a new name. He was going to be called Israel which is a Hebrew word, it means wrestles with God. Israel, wrestles with God. So many of us continue to ignore or fight with God until our own stubbornness gets us wedged into a place where we either have to bend or break, just like Jacob. And that really kind of describes my life up to about 18 years ago. I spent most of my time wrestling with God. I had that little cartoon Jesus living in my heart, which, you know, that protected me from everything, right? But, you know, somehow keeping Jesus nailed in my heart didn't really help. I would go visit him there in my heart sometimes, but more often I would ignore him or try to just board up or block off the door so that no one could come in or he couldn't get out. But this also was the beginning of my spiritual journey. All those encounters and wrestling and trying to figure out how to stuff Jesus into a spot that I wanted him rather than letting him do what he wanted to do. And then I met the Salvation Army. I actually met the Salvation Army through my wife. She, um, we'd, we'd been married for uh, quite a while already, and she'd started a new job there at the Salvation Army at Divisional Headquarters in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. A job that she had taken because it was close to our house. She'd worked for AAA for a long time, and she said, I need a job that's closer to home because it takes half an hour to get to work every day. So this job opened up three, four blocks from our house. And she got it, and she was very happy, and then uh, about two weeks after she moved into that job, she found out that they were moving farther away than her other job had been. <laughs> kind of the story of our Salvation Army life, really. But she had this coworker who started the same day she did who kept inviting her to come to this thing called a core. Hey, come to the core with us. Come to the core. 
And we finally figured out that that meant church. And, uh, you know, we had been what we called church shopping for about eight years. Church shopping, that means sleeping in in the morning. Yeah, church shopping. We, about twice a year we'd go to a new church and say, yeah, that was nice, maybe we'll go back someday, and then we never did. But she had this coworker kept inviting her, and after a couple months of every week being invited, we finally went to church. And it was nice enough, the people seemed friendly, the singing wasn't too horrible, and it wasn't the organ music that we had both feared it would be. And the pastor actually talked about the Bible, like it was something important for us to know about now, rather than just stories about stuff that happened a long time ago. And after we finished, we said, well, this place was nice enough, maybe we'll come back in a while. That night I had a diabetic coronary. Which is an interesting condition where your blood sugar causes your blood pressure to go up, which causes your blood sugar to rise, which causes your blood pressure to go up, which causes your blood sugar to rise, which causes your blood pressure to go up. And the next thing you know, you're in the hospital with blood pressure numbers that uh, should cause your head to explode. Probably literally. And the next morning, while we were waiting for test results to find out if I was going to live or not, uh, I did. Don't want to create too much tension in my story. The officer from that corps that we'd been to, Lieutenant Monty Wandling, well, then Lieutenant, he's been a major for a long time now, uh, he showed up in our hospital room. While I was out getting tests done, he showed up early in the morning with his three-year-old in tow and sat with my wife until I got back from getting tests done and then sat with both of us until our results came back. And the doctor said, I've got results. And he said, all right, I'm out of here. You guys call me and let me know what's up. And I decided that anyone who had not, I mean, he didn't even really meet me the day before. Here was our whole interaction. I said, nice sermon, pastor. And then later on, uh, because my wife's coworker had drug us along to lunch with the pastor and like 35 other people, a huge group of people who all went to lunch, uh, he and I, are allergic to uh, different things. I'm allergic to onions. He's allergic to tomatoes. We ordered the same thing. They mixed up our plates. Here was our other interaction. Hey, I think that's mine. Anyone who from that interaction was willing to give up a whole day of his time to come and sit in a hospital room with someone he didn't even know, I said, man, that is someone who can teach me about Jesus. That's someone who he impressed me. And you know what's funny? He never once mentioned Jesus in the entire visit. He just showed me Jesus. I learned probably as much about Jesus in that four or five hours as I did in the whole 30 years I sat with cartoon Jesus nailed up into my little house heart. And that too was the beginning of a spiritual journey. Outside of Jerusalem... A couple of days after Jesus was executed, there were two men who went walking home. They'd been followers of Jesus. His death had shaken them up a lot. And they were discussing how all of their hopes and dreams had died with him on that cross. And while they were talking about this, another man came along to walk with them. And he asked what was up, and they told him about their disappointment and their shock and their confusion. And that man shared their journey with them, And he shared wisdom with them about God's scriptures until at the very last, 
as they reached their destination, they realized that it was true that Jesus was alive. And then they realized even more than that, the guy who'd been walking with them was Jesus. And they hadn't recognized him. I think the biggest failing of my cartoon image of Jesus is this. I tried to use it to keep Jesus locked in this box that I could walk away from alone when the truth is he's always walking with us. He's always there with us. In in my case, he's always walking with me. He's always teaching me or trying to. I just need to let my eyes be open so that I can see him there. My spiritual journey brings me to new beginnings on a fairly regular basis. God wants me, for whatever reason, to start everything over. My spiritual journey has brought me here. It's brought my family here. And as I walk through the coming weeks and coming years, hopefully, in this location, Jesus is going to be with me every single step of the way. Want to come with us? Is there one? I don't. Jesus does. I work with too many people who are in recovery. This could be the start of your spiritual journey, or a start for your spiritual journey. You could walk along with me. If you'll take that step forward. Now, I don't know how these have been used here. I don't know if these are used every week or once a month or if occasionally they're referenced. These things here are called prayer rails or the altar or the mercy seat. They're places where people come to meet with God. Now, I've got to tell you, it's just wood. There's nothing special or magical about this piece of wood except... In our church tradition, we've set up these places as somewhere that people come to meet with God in prayer. They are always a place that people can come and meet with God in prayer. It doesn't matter what else is going on. Someone could be standing up here preaching, telling jokes, whatever. It doesn't matter. People are always welcome to come and pray at these. Be during breakfast, during lunch. Now the truth is, God's out there too. So you don't have to come pray at this seat. It's just sometimes, in a journey, there's something about getting up and moving that makes a difference. So, if you would like to come and speak to God here to start a journey, you're welcome to do so. I'm going to close us, or close this portion of our service, with a word of prayer. Father, I'd like to uh, pray for all of us who have Jesus in our hearts that you would get him out of there. Not that having Jesus in our heart or in our life isn't important, but that uh, trying to keep him boxed up is not the right thing to do because he is bigger than any of our conceptions of him. Thank you for the uh, sustaining view of Jesus that I had all those years of him being uh, like a little Snow White in my heart. 
if only for the fact that it reminded me that he was with me always. But now that I've let him out, Lord, you lead me to such more uh, interesting places. I pray that you would help me to express that in ways that will bring people along with us as we go on this next adventure. I pray all this in the name of that same Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Amen.